Welcome to Stupidity, home of the greatest media mind ever to walk the planet. Okay, so here's the deal. He's a true icon in every sense of the word. He's loved and feared more than any being to grace this planet. There's two guys, is it? Hey, a man with a voice that sounds like Barry White and Beyonce had a Jewish baby. God himself would pay $39.99 for a cameo. Fact of the matter is, you are about to embark on a transcendent experience that can only be described as psychological nudity. This is Stu Gatz, and this is Stupidity. Here we go, Jim. Tony! Mikey, I have a question for you. What do you got? Are you into trash talking? Do you love trash talking? When you play sports, do you trash talk? Like... Um, it depends on the sport, but my go-to was always to get you mad by laughing at you and not saying a word, and it right. just made people so mad. Wait, so let me just paint this picture. You would play like a pickup game of basketball, and you would just laugh at the guy that you were guarding, which is you playing basketball is a funny visual in itself. I love you, but I had to say like <laughs> No, you're, you're right, but yeah. I was thinking more when I played football. Like if I okay. was playing football – you know, uh, I would I'd, I'd block somebody and then or I'd beat them for a sack or something and they'd get mad and start trash talking. I just laugh at them. Right. And then it just became this whole thing. I always like to go out of the box. Um, my nephew, actually, he sings Frozen to people he's guarding as a D1 athlete. Really? He sings Let It Go. It's amazing. And they get yeah. so mad at him because what he sports does stop. he play? He's, he's a D1 lacrosse player at uh, Ohio State. All right, so he's at Ohio State, a D1 lacrosse player. This is, this is who, by the way? This is my nephew. Okay, so this is your nephew. I have to make an introduction to someone I know who plays on the Ohio State women's team, okay? So remind okay. me of that later. Let's do that. Uh, and what you're telling me is he runs around and he sings what to the opponents? Frozen, let it go, whatever, right. whichever one he thinks of, and they get really mad because he won't stop. Okay. Uh, really, get your nephew on the podcast, by the way. I want to talk to him about this. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and so he he claims that it works, right? I, I've seen it work. I've actually right. seen it work. Um, they'll, they'll throw a punch from nowhere because he won't stop singing Let It Go. So he's trying like in, he's trying to get inside their head by, you know, just well by singing and giving off yeah. that he's crazy. Right. Yeah. A okay. little bit. It's good. A little bit. Good. So how do you play by him? I like this I, I nephew agree. of yours. Get him on, okay? <laughs> Seriously. Uh, I asked this because we're going to have Rafi Kohan on, who has written a book called Trash Talk. It's the only book ever written about trash talking, I believe. And there is like an art, a science, a psychology to all of this that I think you and I are going to be fascinated with because we love trash talking. I don't personally like... If I'm playing, I don't like when someone's talking trash to me. I'm not good enough at anything to talk trash to them, okay? But I do love a good trash talk, you know? I, yeah, I mean, it's become such a part of the game. I'm so interested in this interview on on how to do it, like uh, on on how how it affects people so much just to have somebody talking to them. Right. Uh, we had Christian Wilkins on the main show, the Dolphins defensive tackle. He's great, by the way. But he's a, he's a, you know, he's a trash talker. Uh, he's a noted trash talker. He loves it. He embraces it. But he really gets into it. Like, he spots a weakness. He looks for weaknesses in your game. And then he goes after that player. I love that. That's the kind of shit I want to talk about right now with Rafi, you know? See, the, the thing about trash talk is you have to be good enough 
to like if you're if you're Mike Golick and you start talking trash, nobody cares. But right. if you're if you're Reggie White and you start trash talking, then it becomes a thing. Right. Or you just let your play, you know, do the talking for you. But sure, what fun there are is guys that? that do that. No, that's not fun. <laughs> I mean, I, I want to. If I was so good at something, so good at a sport, I would want to beat you so badly, but also let you know verbally that I am beating you as it's happening. That's it. But I'm not good enough, you know. I'm not good enough. Uh, neither is Rafi Cohen. I mean, no. <laughs> <laughs> but he's a good writer. He's a hell of a writer, and he wrote a book called Trash Talk, and he joins us now. Stugatz here for my friends over at Miller Lite. A lot has changed over the years. One thing that hasn't, the great taste of Miller Lite. It was the original light beer, and to this day, it's still the best one. Miller Lite has more of the taste you want and less of the stuff you don't. What I love to do, what me and my friends do, when we're sitting around, we like to enjoy it with ice-cold Miller Lights. Miller Lite keeps it simple, undebatable quality, great taste, only 96 calories. It's the beer that strips away everything you don't need and holds on to what matters most. The original light beer since 1975. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and is less filling. Tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com stew, or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 96 calories per 12 ounces, fewer cows and carbs than premium regular beer. Rafi Cohan. He has a new book out, Trash Talk. He's a great writer. We'll get to why he wrote the book besides money in just a second. But I am wondering, because the book is out today, wherever you buy your books. Rafi, I am wondering, when the when the day comes, and the day is here as we tape this, uh, when you're releasing a book, are you checking sales nonstop? Like, what are you doing? Take us through today, because I'd be checking nonstop to make sure people were buying my book. Yeah, on the one hand, you're definitely lying if you don't if you say you don't care at all about, you know, the moving units and the ticker and all that. But at the same time, there's not actually a good metric that you can check on the day of sales. The best you can do is go look at like Amazon ranks and that's such a small snapshot that it it may be capturing uh what's happening and it might not. So, if this is my second book, my for my first book I was definitely on there just hitting refresh every five minutes and just seeing <laughs> seeing how things were going. This time I'm trying to restrain myself and you know give the process a little bit more time to play out. How'd the I first love- book do? It uh it did well. It went well, uh critically acclaimed about sports stadiums, uh, and you know, found a nice audience. Very nice. Why'd you write this book? Besides the money, because we're all writing books for money, okay? So that goes without saying, and I don't mean to put you in a bad spot, but why'd you decide to write this particular book? Yeah, if, uh, obviously everyone knows that writing is the path to to wealth in <laughs> society these days. Uh, well, the truth is, so the book, right, is about trash talk, and trash talk, I mean... I don't, I don't know. Like, uh, I know I can curse and then it'll get bleeped, but I don't know, like, uh, how much cursing I can do here. You can so, curse as much as you want and it won't right. get bleeped because Billy's not here this week. I mean, okay. no, I have to do yeah. it. Oh, I was going to say <laughs> Billy, but you know, anyway. Yeah, no, no, uh, Billy, you're right. You're yeah. actually right about that. And just curse. Let it fly, man. Mikey A will take care of it. Well, the truth is because trash talk is awesome. <laughs> That's why I wanted to write this book. I mean, I've, I'm, I'm a, I grew up in the 90s. I'm a kid of the 90s. Trash talk was at its peak in the 90s. And obviously it existed before that. And you can find examples of people talking before that. 
but like literally as a phenomenon with the title and the term of trash talk, that is 1990s. It was, it was the, the, the term was coined in 1980s, basically, and it hit its peak around 1993. You know, it became this kind of like trend story worthy phenomenon. Sports editors were assigning long form features about it. Everybody was talking about trash talk. And it was, it was in the air. And, you know, I was fascinated by these guys that were just talking trash on the court. You know, guys like Gary Payton, you know, you see them and there's something, there's something edgy about them. There's something charismatic about them. And I was really drawn to that. It was, it was very magnetic seeing these guys and not necessarily understanding everything that was going on, like what was really happening on the court with, you know, with the, with the crap that they were talking. And then, you know, as you get older, you know, I, you, you know, I play amateur sports. I played sports in high school and you see that there's all these various sort of functionalities and permutations of trash talk and you kind of start to wonder, well, what's that all about? And nobody had ever written a book about trash talk before. Amazing as that is. So that I figured this might be my lane. I'm curious at what point. I'm sure you study the history of all this. At what point it sort of went from something that was like frowned upon to something that was considered part of the game or part of your game, at least. Good question. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's a, it's a great question. And the, and the truth is, is that I think it's always a cycle because trash talk has existed since the beginning of time, basically since the Bible, since the Homeric poems, guys were talking crap to each other. David to Goliath. It was, he was talking <laughs> That's how he got him within range of his shepherd sling. You know, <laughs> what gonna, was he saying? I would love to know the shit he was talking. I mean. He said, I'm, I'm going to strike you down and cut off your head. And then right. you know, and your mama. gets upset. Yeah. 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 And your mom, too. Right. Classic David. I mean, <laughs> classic David talk. <laughs> you know, and so it's it's always been around. Right. And it's basically it's existed throughout time and across cultures. And at various times, we kind of recognize it for what it is, which is the language of competition. It's a way that we can communicate when we're competing against one another. And at other times, we kind of don't recognize what's happening. And that's kind of what happened in the U.S. in the 1980s and into the 90s as a sort of new form of modern trash talk was emerging from, you know, basketball playground courts out of the culture of hip hop. You know, it's, it's become sort of like a racialized and stigmatized thing. And right after these trend stories pop up and everyone's talking about, whoa, look at this, everyone's talking crap. Then suddenly people are saying, wait a minute, this is unsportsmanlike. We should put an end to this. This is somehow like a moral flaw that you're exhibiting. And and so there was definitely a, like an enormous backlash as a result of that in the 1990s and has continued on. You know, someone like Gary Payton, I think, is a really important figure in the evolution of modern trash talk and sort of our conception of it because he was getting texts. You know, the the the, the Sonics hired a private detective before they would uh, they would draft him, you know, before yeah, as the number two overall pick, I believe. Uh, he was initially left off the 1996 uh, U.S. basketball roster, the Olympic roster, because uh, this is a quote from Sports Illustrated. I'm not going to get it exactly right, but basically, like, they wanted guys who weren't going to cause an international incident. And so Gary Payton was not that guy. But he dealt with that, and he lost, you know, um, commercial and marketing opportunities. But he didn't change his game. He kept talking the same he was always talking. And ultimately, he helped change the perception of that. And it became kind of a thing that was cool and accepted instead of deviant and like 
you know, somehow like mo- a moral failure of some kind. So is Gary Payton considered the greatest uh, trash talker of all time? I don't think you can put anyone above Muhammad Ali. I mean, I think, really? uh, yeah, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, I mean, GP is, is great. And one of my personal favorites, just because he is so uniquely and unapologetically himself. Uh, I mean, I've, I've got, you know, got, I had respect for Gary Payton before I started reporting this book, but then after talking to him, after talking to his former coaches, or George Carl in particular, and guys who played with him, you just realize Gary is a maniac on the floor in the best possible way. I mean, right. George Carl literally told me that he would play him for 48 minutes some games because he did not want to take him out and have to hear his shit. Like that is why he would play Gary Payton for 48 right. minutes. Give me some examples of the pettiest trash talking that you unearthed as you were putting this book together. Okay. Well, I mean, we, I, what's interesting about uh, the pettiness of trash talking is, I mean, the first person who comes to mind to me, of course, is, or of course, or not, of course, is Kevin Durant. And that's just, you know, if you're going to have, uh, you know, burner accounts and you're replying to guys online, you know, that's kind of uh, as pet- petty as it gets. Um but I'll just say one thing about Petty before I give you my the the like my favorite Petty you know, moment okay. of pettiness. Okay. And that is so there was a uh, believe it or not there was a study that came out of the University of Pennsylvania and Georgetown a few years ago that looked at trash talk in the workplace, and one of the things they found one of the effects that it has is it makes you the target of the trash talk more motivated not to win but to see your opponent lose. Right. And the way I read that is extreme. Is that means you're extremely petty. <laughs> you you have reached peak level of pettiness. Well, the point is right that that pettiness is baked into trash talk. If you're talking, <laughs> there you are introducing pettiness to the competition. Uh, so actually, I'll give you two things, two stories. One is um, there's a golfer, a Mexican American golfer named Abraham Answer, right? And he was playing. Uh, I think he was asked before the Presidents Cup. He was playing for, for Mexico. Um, and he said, if you and someone asked him, if you could play for anyone, if you could play, you know, be paired up with anyone, you know, who would it be? You're about to, you know, play in the U.S. He said, I would love to play against uh, Tiger Woods. You know, he's been, you know, my hero my entire life. That would be the thrill of a lifetime. Uh, I don't know if those are his words, but that was the sense bit behind it. And the way that Tiger received this information was basically like, as I put it in the book, as if Answer had taken a dump on his driver. Like that was the. <laughs> the the level of antagonism that he felt was coming at him. And he played with no mercy and no remorse. And he beat, he beat Abraham answer. And at the end of it, he says to the press, well, he asked for it. He got it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Basically as petty as it gets. But the other good one is this uh, Gary Payton story. That's not in the book actually is that basically his biggest rival I believe now works at the YMCA or the, you know, the boys, you know, boys and girls club of America, this guy named, uh, which is a fun headline in, of, in and of itself. Yes. But uh, this guy named uh, uh, Keith Smith, he was recruited to Cal, which of course was uh, Gary Payton's backyard. And, you know, GP was not, he went to, uh, went to Oregon state and he spent four years of college trying to make Keith Smith's life a living hell. He w- went harder at him than anyone else because he was the representation of every phone call he didn't get, every recruiting letter he didn't get, every coach who didn't ask him out for a tryout. That was just Keith Smith, and that and that fueled him. You know that was that was 
that petty motivation, right, can become fuel in some ways. It seems like there are benefits to trash talking both ways, meaning if you're the recipient, it might motivate you more. But if you, you know, if you're preying on, if you're the guy who's giving it or the athlete that's giving it to someone who's perceived as as weak, then it's going to help the athlete who's actually getting, there are benefits to trash talking, are there not? Oh, there's no question. Absolutely. I mean, I get into the whole, the science and psychology of trash talk. I would say though, the, the thing that's important is that would-be trash talkers, you know, to act, you know, ought to be more strategic, and or they can be more strategic and more effective if they actually understand how this stuff works. Because right. there's real psychology at play here, right? So what you're describing, the guy who's going at someone who is weak, who's maybe vulnerable, you know, absolutely. What you're trying to essentially, what you're trying to do, and this is basically what you know, one aspect of someone like Kevin Garnett's game is he was talking to guys trying to intimidate them, and what what you're effectively saying is the demands of playing against me are greater than the resources that you have. You do not have the resources to meet the demands of what I'm bringing to the table. <laughs> and what happens physiologically is, and biologically is we enter into what's known as either a challenger or a threat state based on, you know, based on, you know, when stress is introduced, you know, we have a, one of two stress responses. And if you think you have the resources to meet the demand, you enter a challenge state. On the other side, you enter a threat state, and there's literally physiological differences in your body, downstream effects that happen as a result. Like your heart beats faster either way, but like your heart rate variability either goes up and goes down, which is a measure of efficiency. Your pulmonary vasculature either expands, and so blood can rush out to your extremities and you're ready to take something on, or it constricts. And what that does is, is it basically shunts the blood back to your internal organs because in a threat state, and this is primal, we're basically preparing to be attacked. We, it's as right. if it's as if a lion is going to jump on us in the savanna. That is how our body reacts, <laughs> and when that happens, there's major performance uh, performance you know repercussions as a result of that. So there's no question. So like trying to make someone so attacking someone who's vulnerable, who thinks they're vulnerable, or saying something that someone might have a doubt about and insecurity, and you can say something that resonates with those doubts that has real impact. I got a I got a million dollar idea here, and I think you're just the person to, to come aboard on this. I think we should come up with some sort of metric for athletics on how susceptible you are to trash talk. Okay, based simply okay. on, I love and, this. and I mean, we'll give it a rating. Okay, hold on. And then, Listen, my, Mikey's got a business idea here, and he's he's giving you a chance to to get in to get out on the ground at a very floor, early stage. Drafty, okay. Oh, do you way. want in with us? Okay, because you have to be the guy that does the research, right? <laughs> well, maybe we can uh, recruit some like an AI model to help us with that. But sure. it's to find those moments. But the truth that that is a question that I put to a lot of people is like, can you actually like find out like you know analytics? Like, can we apply analytics to talking trash? Can we find out those moments where someone is going to be most susceptible? And the per I didn't get a lot. I got a couple of interesting answers. The one that intrigued me the most, which is not which is not like satisfying in and of itself, came from Shane Battier when he was still working, uh, you know, in the front office of the Miami Heat. And he was like, "To tell you the truth, I have an idea along these lines." And and I said, "Well, can you tell me about it?" And he said, "No, because oh. I haven't given up on it yet." So he's still holding on to hope that this is a real thing that you right, can yeah. really find. When is the person most stressed? When they are most susceptible? Whether it's a trash talk or some other form of distraction, and of course that's another, uh, you know, another pathway by which trash talk can work and have negative performance outcomes is 
distracting someone, stealing their attention. Uh, but I also had an interesting conversation with um, the uh, um, the head of the director of performance for the uh, the uh, English and Wales Cricket Bureau. Uh, and you may not think about cricket as being a sport that talks a lot of trash, but actually there's a ton of trash talking cricket. They call it sledging. If you think about it, it makes sense because it requires so much attention. You know, so much in incredible like mental stamina and focus to play cricket because you're up there for hours and you make one mistake and you're done. And so I, I asked him something along those lines too because he's a big analytics guy. And his response was interesting because what he, what he said is, was basically like, it's not necessarily when to attack, but also when not to. So for example, in the seventh over of a cricket match, there's there's data that shows I'm, it might not be the seventh. Don't hold me to that. I'm making it up. But that no. <laughs> that you know that that teams score less than they do in every other over. So for whatever reason, they're not as engaged. They're more distracted. They're tired. So that's exactly when you do not want to talk trash because mm -hmm. then you would run the risk of increasing their motivation, of raising their arousal levels, getting them- They're already down, you're right. Yeah, yes. they're already yes. down. So yes. just as much as you want to figure out when to attack, and, and so the time too, for example, would be if someone's really hyped up, if, they're, if they've got a ton going on, they're at like a high level of arousal and intensity, like maybe you can talk a little trash and push them over the edge. Because once you get above your peak performance state and there is like a peak level of anxiety that everybody has, there's like there's dramatic declines in performance. So I think you're onto something. I mean, I think there's something there. How long ago did you have this uh, conversation with Shane Battier? How long ago? A couple years. Okay, Mikey, we got to get on this because yep. Battier, I'm Absolutely. telling you, he's getting close. Okay, <laughs> like we got to get on this before <laughs> we he We got to get it right? on the ground floor. <laughs> <laughs> no, we have to do it and release it before Battier does. That's what I'm trying to tell you. All right. That's right. It's a race now at this point. You gotta, yeah. It's a, a race to ridiculous <laughs> analytics. Go ahead, Mikey. Yeah. I'm curious. Ridicu ridiculous analytics. Sorry, go ahead. No, ridiculous, okay. ridiculous for now until we have it, and then it's not until ridiculous it. because we're the ones I'm, making money off of it. I mean. I'm just saying that's a good name for a firm is ridiculous analytics. <laughs> You're right. I like that, yeah. What do you got, Mike? I'm curious. Just following up with that, I'm curious. I'm sure – in all your conversations, you found a lot of guys that you're like, that was a great trash talker. That was a great trash talker. But were there a couple of names that came up as that's the guy they picked on? That's the guy everybody went after. Yeah. Uh, that's a question that I asked. I asked almost every athlete that I spoke to, and everyone was very hesitant to talk about. Uh, <laughs> the guys they didn't want to give away their they targets. Didn't right. They didn't want to right. give it up. <laughs> Yeah, well, Rafi, it's so funny you're talking like it's so funny we're discussing this, and I'll let you answer that in a second yeah. because Christian Wilkins, the Dolphins' great defensive tackle, was on with us this week, and he was like, "Oh yeah, like listen, if you're organized about it, I know the guys that are weak. I know the guys that can't handle it. I know their weaknesses. Absolutely. Like these guys are studying this before the game. It's crazy." No question, no question. And you have, uh, I mean, you have tape on it. I mean, Steve Smith Senior. Before every game that he played, he would he would watch tape of every defensive back that he was going to be going up against, and he wasn't just watching to see like, well, what were the plays that you know someone caught a ball on them. He watched everything, and he was looking for everything, every ticks, every kind of any kind of like psychological giveaway. You know, he told me about one one game he was watching. It was gonna he was with the Ravens. It was his first game going up against uh, Joe Hayden, and he had never really played against him, at least not when they were in the same division. 
and he was watching tape from a game the previous year when Hayden was matched up against Brandon Marshall. And he noticed something, which was Marshall caught a ball, and when they stood up, Hayden was trying to, you know, rip it away from him. And for and 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 for whatever reason, Brandon Marshall just kind of like flinched at him. You know how you can like flinch at someone. And Joe Hayden flinched back, like, you know, like like he involuntary flinch. Uh, like Matt Barnes never did when Kobe Bryant was throwing the ball in mm-hmm. his face, right? Right. And Steve Smith said, I'm latching on to that. And he basically and his whole entire game plan against him was designed to sit, you know, was designed to take advantage of that fact that he believed that Joe Hayden would be non-confrontational in that way. And he and the entire game, he actually, instead of talking what he what he did was he was very physically aggressive. And then didn't say anything because Joe Hayden kept being like, Hey man, what's up? Why are you doing that? Like we're cool or what? And Steve Smith said nothing. It's the same kind of mind game, but he knew it was just to a, you know, a slightly different, uh, you know, line of attack. And then what happened is on the final drive of the game, Ravens are down going, you know, or, um, or they're down or it's a tie game. And Joe Flacco asks, asks uh, Steve Smith in the huddle, you know, what kind of route do you, you know, what do you want to run? And he's like a sluggo. And, you know, a sluggo is basically like um, it's a slant that goes goes into a go route. And so what he knew was that because of everything that he'd done to Joe Hayden that day, when he ran the sluggo and faked the slant, Joe Hayden was going to bite on it because he was going to give him space. And that's exactly what he did. And then he went for the go, caught like a 30 something yard yard catch and set up Justin Tucker for the uh, you know, for the game winning field goal. So it's like that stuff is absolutely studied. There's no question. Who's a guy that we'd be surprised, an athlete we'd be surprised was a great trash talker? An athlete you'd be surprised was a great – well, I mean, Brian Scalabrini is pretty good. I don't know if that's a Scal? Yeah. What was he talking trash about? Scal talks a lot. But the thing is, is that Scal, he knew not to take anything personally. Right. He knew he knew that like guys were gonna were gonna talk about him and that is fine because if he gets involved emotionally in the game, <laughs> this is a quote from him. He's like, I'm not good enough, <laughs> you know, to get distracted with that kind of one on you know mono e mono crap. Like right. I need to focus on my responsibilities. But he would say stuff like, you know, this guy can't go left. He can't go left. And knowing that it's basically he's presenting a challenge, you know, he's going at the guy's ego and guys have, you know, elite athletes have such a hard time letting go of their ego, right? If you're telling them they can't do the thing, they're going to do the thing, even if it's wrong for the team and it's outside of the game plan. Um, to go back to one of the, uh, what you were asking before we started talking about the Steve Smith thing, the one guy that, which I think brings up an interesting point about what might make someone vulnerable is Gilbert Arenas told me that if he was in the league today, he would go after Russell Westbrook. And this was even a few years ago. And, and the reason is, and I don't think he's wrong. The reason is, is the way he put it is he becomes like a Ferrari in traffic or a Lamborghini in traffic. You know, he gets so revved up and so tunnel visioned that like he's overcome with, with all the, all the, 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 the anxiety of performance. It makes him a worse player. Makes him a worse player, and he's being baited by pride, and that's the thing that I think you know is really can really be detrimental. It's the same thing that Scal would do by saying you can't go left or give him that you know give it to him, give it to him. I'll give you, I'll give you that jump shot, right? Like I mean, that's that's great trash talk, right? <laughs> I love Scal. Scal was kind of preparing for the trash talk. He wasn't actually giving it out, but he was preparing that guys were going to talk trash to him and just laughed it off, probably. You know? Oh, absolutely. Knew not to, knew knew that it was a pure distraction. It should have nothing to do with him. But, you know, so 
last was it last season that Russell uh, Westbrook got so upset when everybody was calling him Russell Westbrook and you know yes. talking to right like yes. the fact that he brought that up tells you that he's getting offended by something that he shouldn't be offended by. It's not Correct. that you're just you're you're broadcasting the fact that you're taking offense. Your pride is your weakness. Like if you're and he said that he's like I'm a prideful man. You know, like this is my name. You're dishonoring my name. When you start talking about things like respect and honor, then guys are going to be, you know, guys are vulnerable. That, that's when, that's where you, if, if someone like LeBron James, same thing says like when things get disrespectful, that's where I draw the line. It's like, man, that's exactly what the whole point of this is. I feel like on the opposite end of that is Kobe Bryant, who you start doing that and he would do it just to show you and he could, and it would happen over and over. Yeah. Well, I mean, someone like Kobe is someone you don't want to talk to, right? Because yeah, exactly. He, you know, he feeds off of it. And we say, we say feed off of it. And it's kind of like a, you know, it's a generic, you know, term, but, but I I'm talking about the science. Like you literally, you can use it as a cue to, you know, refocus your attention. You can get yourself into the optimal zone of functioning, uh, which is like a sports psychology term that talks about like being in the peak performance state, you know, Kobe, Kobe wanted to humiliate you. You know, Kobe wanted to, he wanted you to engage so that he could show you just how much better than you than he was. He tried to bait Shane, Shane Battier. He tried to bait him every time they played. It would, you know, relentlessly, right? You know, one time he would, he would, he would be nice to him and cordial and friendly before a game. The next time he wouldn't, he wouldn't say anything. He cold his ice. You know, he would step over him and, or, you know, hover over him for an extra half a beat when he fell on the floor or bump his shoulder into him. He was trying to bait him into a confrontation, but a guy like Kobe, yeah. You, but just as, again, just as much you got to know who to go after, you got to know who to who to leave alone. See, I like that list. Who do you leave alone? Like yeah. it's not even worth it. Like Jordan's got to be on that list. Kobe's got to be on that list. <laughs> Jordan, Mahomes, Mahomes, right. yeah. <laughs> Jordan, Mahomes, Kobe. Anyone who's gonna, anyone who's go, who like who's going to engage Draymond Green, Kevin Garnett, Gary Payton. I mean, all these guys, these guys who, who feed off of it, like you're giving them what they want, but you know, John Stockton who never said a word to Gary Payton, you know, Gary Payton you know, to this day will admit that John Stockton got in his head because he never said anything. And he started thinking about it. He's like, why won't this guy talk to me? And suddenly, right. right. Then he's thinking about something that has nothing to do with the game instead of his opponent doing it. Uh, Rafi, before uh, we let you go, and again, Trash Talk is available right now wherever you buy your books. Support this man. It's a good book. It's an interesting topic. Give me the uh, the Mount Rushmore of Trash Talkers. Okay. All right. So I said before that you're right. Muhammad Ali's got to be on the list. He's the Agreed. he's the yes. godfather of modern trash talk, both in terms of sort of like bringing it to a national and global audience, but also because the fact that you know he used trash talk in basically every possible in every possible way, you know, and, you know, to every possible, you know, it, he demonstrated all the functionalities of trash talk, right. For like self-promotion and hype and selling a fight to getting in the guy's head, to trying to create motivation for himself. Um, but, and even behind the scenes as a kind of like pro-social, you know, um, you know, you know, just giving, giving each other shit, right. They're like, that's that's a pro-social use of trash talk to create, you know, bonds of intimacy and sort of in-group cohesion. Uh, so he did all of that. I'm going to put, I'm going to put Gary Payton on the list as well. Uh, yeah, I don't think you can have a Mount Rushmore and not have uh, not You're have right. GP. You can't. Yes, there's no yeah. way. You know, yeah. so so I'm going to put him on the list. Grudgingly, I'm going to include Reggie Miller. Okay. 
<laughs> Why, you're a Knicks fan? <laughs> yeah, I'm a Knicks fan. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but he was great at it. He was great at it. He thrived on it. He was great. Yes. He was great. He yeah. was, I mean, and, and he's sort of like, he's more of like the pest instead of the, you know, a different a different kind of, not the intimidator, but the pest. Sure. You could put Sean Avery, you know, in that slot, someone like that. But Reggie Miller was, I mean, just look at the fact that, uh, you know, that, that Michael Jordan tried to get, gouge his eyes out. The fact right. that Reggie was able to get under MJ's skin and nobody could do that. And MJ, for whatever reason, was not able to use you know, Reggie's trash talk and the way he was others, you got to give him some credit for that. But yeah, yeah. I mean, at the same time, F Reggie. Um, <laughs> and, then, and then, and then last spot, I want to, I want to give it to someone who maybe folks don't know as well. And that is a former uh, U S soccer goalkeeper named Shep Messing. So he, Oh, I know him well. I love Shep Messing, New York arrows. Come on. Yes. Okay. Thank you. So Shep is a guy that not a lot of people, people know but so the reason that the u.s olympic men's team made its first ever olympics in the qualifying era is because of trash talk and it's because of shet messing it's because in the 1972 qualifiers during the during the shootout to go you know to advance in the qualifying round shet messing takes off his shirt swings it around his head like a maniac and goes out screaming at the guy who's gonna about to take the kit about to take the kick this guy named mario castro and he so freaked him out that the guy missed the missed the shot entirely. But that's just the beginning for Shep. Shep, who also studied psychology uh, as an undergrad, he would he would look up you know like individual cultural sensitivities against you know the different teams you know the different players he'd be going against, especially when he played you know with guys like Pele and uh, you know in, in the locker room with the Cosmos. He would just find out like what like what. Will a German, will upset a German? What will upset an Italian guy? I just go directly at that. But he also, he would just do the wildest stuff. Two, two other quick things. One is, so in quarter kicks, he would like walk around sort of like with a dazed look on his face, mumbling to himself. And then he'd grab a guy and say, where am I? <laughs> like, <laughs> I like, like I, he's like, I haven't gotten any sleep. What's going on here? And he, just, <laughs> he wanted people to think he was a lunatic, like actually a lunatic, because then they'd stay a little bit away from him. They'd be a little bit afraid of him when they're going in for that, you know, for that crosser to get, you know, to put a head on it. Uh, but the most devious, the most devious ploy that I've heard of comes from Shet Messing, which is he would go up to guys coming out of halftime, guys he knew, and he would do, or he would do research into it, like where they lived. And he would say something to the effect of, oh man, I hope you didn't hear there's a gunman in your neighborhood. Oh, <laughs> I know it's a little or it's, you know, next level, it, man. Yeah. Well, cause right. he's not making them mad. He's just making them worried. Right. <laughs> and so <Yes>. they're thinking, <laughs> they're thinking about something else. I mean, th- I mean, that's an exact quote from Shep that he used in the, in the, in the playoffs in 1977 when he was playing with the, he was still playing in the NASL. So Shep belongs on that list too, for, uh, as an innovator. All right, Mikey A, get Shep on the podcast, okay? Because I want to talk to him about trash talking. I already, I've already reached out to Shane Battier. I want to ha- have him on <laughs> in a couple of weeks with Rafi so yeah, we can create please. this business, see where Battier's at with it, okay? And we can create this business together. But in the meantime, before we do all of that, okay, buy his book, Trash Talk. It's available right now wherever books are sold. I love that you're having a book signing with people who are going to heckle you. That is a great <laughs> idea by you. Uh, good luck with the book, man. This was great. Fascinating man we appreciate it oh thank you guys i appreciate it as well all right and you're right reggie miller 
Stugatz here for my friends over at Miller Lite. A lot has changed over the years. One thing that hasn't, the great taste of Miller Lite. It was the original light beer, and to this day, it's still the best one. Miller Lite has more of the taste you want and less of the stuff you don't. What I love to do, what me and my friends do, when we're sitting around, we like to enjoy it with ice-cold Miller Lights. Miller Lite keeps it simple, undebatable quality, great taste, only 96 calories. It's the beer that strips away everything you don't need and holds on to what matters most. The original light beer since 1975. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and is less filling. Tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com stew, or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 96 calories per 12 ounces, fewer cows and carbs than premium regular beer.